everybody. Hello. Welcome to the film room. We have an interesting episode today. An episode of comparing and contrasting and general study and we're going to go all over the place here. This was a cast that in the early going of it really had some of the most back research I've done for an episode. Yeah, it kind of evolved too. You know, we uh, went to areas of study that we didn't think we'd go in. Uh, it was it was an episode that has, had been one that had certainly been on the books as one of the first ones we wanted to do, though. It should be noted. Yeah, absolutely. Today, we're looking at two movies. One is Space Jam, and one is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You might have been able to tell from the abomination that was the opening. <laughs> yeah, very good job there that you did on the opening there. Um, yeah, I... Uh... Uh, I did that at 3 a.m., listened to it the next morning, and thought, oh, God, this is awful. I need to put it on the cast. It really sums it up. Yeah, it's really unsettling. It captures what makes these two movies so very different in just one listen. Side by side, you just see the very different styles that are at play here. I really had to tweak to make those uh, fit into each other. They did fit, though. <laughs> Thank you. I'm proud of it in a very shameful way. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's Space Jam and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It had been a while since we both seen Space Jam, and uh, it does not hold up. No. I, I think Space Jam is a solid place to start, because mm -hmm. here's the thing. It, did, it didn't hold up. I'm going to say right now that to anybody who sees that we're going to discuss Space Jam and is getting horrified by, oh, how can you touch this movie was so vital to my childhood? <laughs> First of all, if you watch it, you're probably going to find out that it doesn't hold up. I'm just going to tell you right now. Secondly, we're not going to be as mean to it as we are some of the other films we've discussed here. We've, no. we've been meaner to a No. This is not a talking cat bad. No, this is not a talking cat bad. We've been meaner to other films. And mm -hmm. this is mediocre. Yeah. I think it's probably... It's very thoroughly mediocre. It is. It is a movie that is not without its merits. Yeah. But by and large, it's kind of worthless at the end of the day, if that makes any sense. It's a movie with merits, but at the end of the day, they're not merits that are enough to overcome the fact that it's not a very good movie. The merits, I think, are, for one, the 2D animation is good. Like, the, the hand-drawn animation is good. It does not mix well with the live action, which is not the animator's fault. I think the other, the other pro is Wayne Knight. Yeah, once again, we get praise Wayne Knight. Yes. And uh, we got we got to give love to the guy that's called this movie the worst he's ever made. Too. <laughs> who who was that? Bill Murray has said this is the worst movie he's ever made. Bill Murray said that. Oh, I was just gonna bring him up, but yeah, I mean, I I liked him in it because he was Bill Murray. I mean, he didn't really need to be there. He was he was kind of shoehorned in. Well, even Point Blank says, "Mr. Murray, something's really been bugging me." Yeah. Just how did you get here? Producer's a friend of mine. Just had a teamster come and drop me off. Yeah. In the movie. He says that in the movie. That's true. Yeah, of course, the producer being Ivan Reitman, who directed Ghostbusters. And they even give a nod to that fact. A really poorly made nod when uh, the Danny DeVito bad guy says, Whoa, whoa, whoa! I didn't know Dan Aykroyd was in this picture! That does not look like Dan Aykroyd, dude. No, it's clumsily done. Pretty much all of the reference humor in this movie is so very clumsily handled. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. It's it's very dated. It doesn't hold up in two ways. For one, it's not good. And it also doesn't hold up in that it's it's stuck in the 90s. Like, it is very... Like, there are a bunch of 90s references that I don't think, like, a kid watching now would get. Like, what's that? <laughs> You know, who's who's Larry Bird? Who's Mike who's Michael Jordan? I don't know if I go that far. But the basketball players in the film, really the only one that I could recognize aside from Jordan was uh and Larry Bird was uh Charles Barkley. And that's only because he's hosted SNL a couple of times recently. And he's a very distinctive presence. It should be noted, his SNL hosting jobs have been pretty damn good. Uh, he's he's a funny guy. Highly recommend uh, seeking those out on Hulu because those are those are funny. He's he's got some good timing. I'll have to. But yeah, there's an obligatory Dennis Rodman joke. Oh yeah, which of course no one now is going to get. And you know there there's a joke that Wayne Knight makes. Uh, and I get the joke. I mean it's I'm not going to say it's not clever, 
but at the same time, in this film, it feels like it really does feel like product placement. I also know if you haven't seen the movie or haven't seen it recently, Wayne Knight has been assigned as Michael Jordan's like personal assistant for some reason. Come on, Michael, it's game time. Get your Hanes on, lace up your Nikes, grab your Wheaties and your Gatorade, and we'll pick up a Big Mac on the way to the ballpark. It's pretty shameless. It's shameless. I mean, in any other movie, it would be a funny line, because those are all things that Michael Jordan has hawked at one point or another. But in this movie, it's just, uh, stop it. Stop it right now. It's, 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 it's very shameless. And of course, it should be noted, McDonald's did a tie-in with this movie, so... Uh, yeah, that's right, I remember the toys. They they also weren't very good. No. Oh, gee, what a surprise. I mean, I, I saw a lot of product placement in the film. I saw some weird product placement. Piggly Wiggly? Piggly Wiggly, oh, yeah. I believe they're now defunct, actually, so... They are. So, that's, that's kind of dated. Um, just to be clear, my favorite movie of all time is Back to the Future. Or specifically part two. But yeah, I'm not saying that a film that's set in its time period cannot work and cannot hold up. I think the difference there is that this is definitely, you know, it, it hammers in that this is 1985. These are the 80s. And of course, it all ties in with the time travel thing. And Okay, these are the 50s. See how different they are? And of course, part two is also extremely dated because of it, you know, because it has a version of the future. And of course, that future is very quickly approaching, and uh, it's, it doesn't look like that. But this is just different in that, you know, nobody would get it. Well, it relies on the references to, me to be right. funny, to be clever. Uh, it's like, I expect Shrek 2 to date horribly, <laughs> because it is so reference-like. Oh yeah, I expect a lot of family films from this, from this past decade to date horribly. And that's a shame, because I really liked the first Shrek, and I even enjoyed Shrek 2, but mm -hmm. it's it's going to date badly. There's another example, like, there's a reference to the then-recent, uh, Disney had just started the Anaheim Ducks. What kind of Mickey Mouse organization would name their team the Ducks? Mmm, yeah. Yeah, see, and that's one that I, that just, well, pardon the pun, flew over my head, just because... I thought they were making, like, a reference to the Mighty Ducks, which I think is also a Disney property. And it's like, okay, the Mighty Ducks, that's kind of dated. But I didn't know just how dated that was. Yeah, because by now Disney sold the team. Uh, it doesn't work. It, it doesn't work at all. And as a film itself, just structurally, it's that also doesn't work. Like, there are multiple levels in which this film does not work. Like, you know, you I think you mentioned the scene, like, the big long scene where they're uh, Daffy and Bugs go to get Michael Jordan's shorts. It's very arbitrary, and it doesn't go anywhere. No, it's just like, okay, let's put the Looney Tunes in uh, scenes with some kids. I don't I don't know if those are Michael Jordan's real kids. I'm assuming not. They're not. No, I didn't think so. But yeah, that whole seven-minute scene, there's like a two-second payoff to that scene, and it's not worth it. No, it's not worth it at all. The The, the sequence is... And it's not even funny. That's the thing. That sequence isn't funny. It's just there. The the thing with the dog in that scene, their their dog is named Charles. Get it? They give him like these weird cartoon eyes. Yeah, that was weird. It's very unsettling. I don't know why they did it. I think that really sums it up that that there's just those weird decisions throughout the film and you're like, "Okay, why? Why?" They also used newly newly established computer technology to do some of the some of the wider establishing shots, and that also dated horribly. How does look ugly as can be? Ugh, it's one of those you you had two D animators. Why didn't you just use them? I mean, this is Warner Brothers. Uh, it's the same studio that did Animaniacs on TV. Animaniacs had better wide sweeping shots than this did. And on a TV budget. So I really don't see why they couldn't have used their 2D animators. Which, again, the 2D animation is pretty good. Yeah, the 2D animation looks nice. It's fluid. Yeah, it's fluid. It's like the actual live action doesn't fit in with it. But that's not the animator's fault. Uh, we are building up to a point, like to a uh, a big niggly point. Which is the new character that they introduced for this film. 
Oh, dear me. <laughs> Whoa, Bonnie. The Looney Tune with boobs. That's pretty much all she is in this film. That is all she is. She is such a sexualized creation that it's unsettling. If you look at the designs, all the Looney Tunes do not have realistic body type designs, like as far as making them anthropomorphized. You know, they have like skinny legs, some have big knees, and you know, just, they're all just disproportionate in a loony fashion. Lola is very human looking. Like, she has realistic human muscles, and she has realistic human um, boobies, and. <laughs> And it just, it doesn't fit. It's weird. Her eyes are what's really unsettling, because she has those very come-hither eyes. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna have to throw up the Nostalgia Critic review of Space Jam, too. He makes a bunch of very good points. You know, he said it best. Why would anyone want to fuck a rabbit? What sense does that make? I actually saw last night a, uh, it was a motivational poster, Lola Bunny, The Only Reason to Watch Space Jam, and it's a very, it, it's a shot that's undeniably sexual. Uh, like, it's not Rule 34, but it's very much a shot of her that suggests that. Uh, from the movie. From the movie. From the actual movie. And she is, she's also, it should be noted, a character who is completely worthless in personality. Mm-hmm. She maybe only has, like, seven lines in the movie, maybe eight, and here they are. Um, I have. I'd like to try out for the team. Hi, my name is Lola Bunny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Doll on the court. Bugs. Ready? Don't ever call me. Doll. Hey, nice playing with you. Doll. Don't ever call me. Doll. Thanks, Bugs. Wow. Nice butt. Oh, 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 my. Bugs. Bugs. Are you okay? Oh, Bugs. Thank you. That was the nicest thing anyone's ever done for me. Yeah, I got it. Kill me. Come Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's it. That's all that she has to contribute to the movie. The first scene she walks in, it, she's in there for, like, a minute. All it is is to give Bugs Bunny a boner, yeah. and that's it. That's literally it. And and that she's good at basketball, and that's it. And I mean, it's it's really it, bad. It, it, it's pathetic. Mm -hmm. And I think this would be a good place to now talk about the miracle. Uh, there's been a few iterations in the 17 years since this movie was made. There have been a few iterations of Looney Tunes that have utilized Lola. There's like been baby Looney Tunes. Uh, there's been, like, Looney Tunes in Space or whatever. Come 2011, they introduced a show on Cartoon Network called The Looney Tunes Show, which sets uh, the Looney Tunes characters in a suburban in a suburban sitcom situation. And it really works. And they reinvented Lola Bunny. It's hysterical. I watched an episode before this to prepare. We've both been hooked on it. It's. I intended to watch the episode where she was introduced just to get comparison and got hooked. <laughs> because the show is laugh out loud hilarious. It really is. I mean, I'm really talking gut-bustingly funny. If you're a fan of the classic Looney Tunes, and I know that some are really kind of upset because they take some liberties with the characters. No, it's it, it, it really it's it's very much true to the Looney Tunes as as we know them. Their personalities are great. And what happened with Lola can best be summed up in two words. Kristen Wig. A hundred thousand dollars! Bun Bun! I'm back! Lola? <laughs> yes, I'm back in your life! At least for one date, and you can't say no because it's for a good cause. <laughs> Littering! <laughs> oh, yes. Because she was hired to voice Lola, and let me tell you something. The character is very much in her style. She is a motormouth idiot stalker. <laughs> She's deranged. She is this character that bears no resemblance to the tough girl of the movie and she's awesome i think you i think you nailed it with one word there character she actually has a character yeah she's a real genuine character who fits in in this universe and she's a blast to watch anytime she shows up in an episode you know something funny is about to go on because it's going to be the most random stuff and I realize that by pointing out that Kristen Wiig is doing the voice, it's probably going to turn some people off. 
And I'll grant you, I'm not a fan of her work on SNL, but it's everything she's done after that I've loved so much. Given the chance to just go completely off the rails as a cartoon character, she does a great job. Uh, even, even when the character is playing just like a minor part in an episode, it's still hilarious. It's like the episode where uh, Daffy pretends to be a lawyer uh, to impress his girlfriend's father. And Lola just kind of... Hi, Tina! You saw you're here to see Daffy? Is this your dad? Hi, I'm Lola, Daffy's secretary. Can I get you a cup of coffee or a banana milkshake? And it's it's hilarious. She's a real character, and, and she's really one of the best things about the show. So uh, she is she's definitely been redeemed since that movie. And also, it should be noted they have heavily reworked her design. Oh God, yeah, she she looks. Um, you mean we mentioned the, uh, the Looney Tune designs and how she did not fit in? Now she does. They skinned her up a bunch. She looks a lot more like bugs. You know, they definitely reduced the um, uh, the just the overall sexualness of it. Like she she's been desexualized basically, which is great. Her eyes are wide. Yes, her eyes are her eyes are big and wide and kind of crazy. She's loony. Yeah, she's loony now. I mean, that's worth a watch. We, we've talked about, well, let's talk about another factor in the movie that we, we've kind of talked around, but we've got to address it. Michael Jordan. Oh, Michael Jordan, yes. This is awkward. Just the whole thing around Michael Jordan is awkward. Like, they, they start they start the movie with uh, him as a little kid playing basketball, like just shooting hoops outside his home. What are you doing out here, son? It's after midnight. I want to play in North Carolina. Now, that's a real fine school. Real fine school. I want to play on a championship team. Then I want to play in the NBA. And once I've done all that, uh-huh. I want to play baseball just like you, Dad. Holy shit! Credits! Ah! Oh, God, those credits are just... Those credits are eye-gouging because they're set to some terrible music. The only thing that I can think of that even compares to that is Kanye West's All of the Lights video which uses strobe effect constantly. Uh, this is that, and that actually, they had to warn people with epilepsy about that video. The credits for this are about that bad. I'm really serious. I'm not making a joke. It, it hits you in the face and never stops hitting you in the face until the five minutes is up. <sighs> and again, it's all, you know, Michael Jordan photos, like, of him growing up, graduating college and being accepted into the NBA and retiring from the NBA. To go to basketball. There's no getting around it. This movie is a hagiography to Michael Jordan. This movie worships Michael Jordan. It is a giant ego massage to Jordan. That was a strikeout, Mike. That was a good-looking strikeout. Real good. I mean, you look good when you strike out, man. When I strike out, man, it looks nasty, man. At least you look good, man. Good looking. And that's no exaggeration. I mean, the Looney Tunes are falling all over themselves about Michael Jordan. Oh, look. Is that Michael? They, the the, the problem that I have is that, first of all, Jordan's not charismatic at all in the film. He's a block of wood. I hate to bring up a person's personal life, but I know too much about Michael Jordan as an adult to be able to take this movie with a straight face. I've read several books on Jordan because he is an interesting figure. He's an undeniably interesting figure. He's not interesting in the way that you would kind of uh, want to. Uh, there's a great book about his time with the Washington Wizards, which is really, it's it's not a very pretty picture. Uh, Jordan, for those who are unaware, is known to have pretty serious issues with gambling. Um, is known to be just really a tremendous asshole on the court. Not a particularly well-liked figure. Uh, his, his personal life is uh, it's, it's not pretty, frankly. Look, he, he, you know, he's not a bastard or anything. He, he's, he's, he's not a, a terrible person. He's, I mean, let's face it, he's more likable than Barry Bonds, and he's not exactly a family-friendly figure if you really know who he is. And so this movie is awkward. Um, I do recommend the book. I believe it's called When Nothing Else Matters, um, about those pathetic two seasons that he played. Uh, it's, it's worth a read. And see, I did not know that about him. All I knew was his 90s image. Yeah, which was so cultivated. And this movie is very much a part of it. Oh, yeah. One thing that I will give the movie credit for is that it fully acknowledges that his baseball career sucks. Yeah, it does have fun with that. Yeah. 
which is nice. And, you know, the, the payoff to that is kind of stupid. Oh, he went back into basketball because he played with Bugs Bunny. See, I vastly prefer the conspiracy theories that I've heard, even though I don't believe them. What's uh, that? Well, the, the, there, there is a conspiracy theory that maybe Jordan stepped out of the light uh, because of uh, his gambling issues, and that maybe he stepped back from basketball as a way to keep the heat off of him. I see. But hmm. but I should stress those are just conspiracy theories, and I do not believe them, but at least they're a more interesting story than this. Yeah. This this movie picks up and drops side stories left and right. Oh, it does. Like, there's the whole thing with, uh, if you haven't seen it, part of the plot is that uh, they have to play basketball against these guys to not be enslaved by them, which makes about as much sense as anything else. And they're the, like these little alien dudes, and they go out and steal other popular basketball players' talents. And when they use them, they become giant monsters. One of the side plots is those guys who who have lost their talents are getting physicals and, you know, trying to figure out what happened to them. And, of course, that whole sequence, the, the one-note joke is they're all tall. Look how tall they are. I, I don't know. I can jump in and say that I am going to give that sequence some credit. That There are some good jokes in that sequence. I thought the, uh, yeah, the running joke was that these guys were tall and all that, but th there were at least a few good laughs, the scene of them going to the psychic. I see aliens. Little aliens from outer space. They force their way inside your bodies. They need your talent to win a basketball game against Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny. I also see Michael Jordan being sucked down a golf hole by furry creatures. That's it. We're out of here. And, uh, you know, I mentioned Barkley. He does get a few... Barkley gets a couple of good lines in this sequence. Uh, the scene where he's praying and uh, even references his fling with Madonna. Although, again, that, yeah, that's a joke that's going to date, but it's a funny line. And, and they are all better actors than Michael Jordan. They at least try. I think that's just it. Jordan doesn't try in this movie at all. No. It's like, it's another paid gig. Where's my paycheck? I said the line, where's my paycheck? Yeah. Pretty much. If you want to see the Looney Tunes mixing with a world that uh, does not resemble theirs at all, but does it right, look up the Superman Bugs Bunny uh, DC uh, Looney Tunes crossover miniseries. That is a fun one. Yeah, it's a comic book uh, written by Mark Evanier, who... Uh, oh, right. Yeah, who did uh, the writing on Garfield and Friends, uh, noted comic historian. That mixes those two worlds, so we're okay. The Looney Tunes know who Superman is, and mm -hmm. they know the DC Universe, but that actually makes sense. Right. Like, I could see them caring more about that one, and they have fun with it. They don't fall all over themselves in awe of it, no, they make fun of it. They don't do that here. Well, I think we need to address one of the big issues with the movie is that the Looney Tunes themselves just don't feel like the Looney Tunes. No, they're not funny. They're not zany. They they might as well just call this random shit happens the movie. It really is that way. You, you talk about things that are picked up and dropped, and I think it's fitting that we're all over the place on this because that <laughs> is the movie. Watch us get tight and focused on the next topic. Um... One of the things that gets brought up and dropped is Michael Jordan, it's mentioned him, okay, Jordan decides to play for his own freedom. He offers himself into slavery for the fate of the game. And you're sitting there going, this is a big thing. I don't think the movie should be playing on the, on this sphere. No. This kind of dark, for one. It's very dark. They even have, like, a little animated Michael Jordan, like, in chains, throwing hoops for the amusement of this one kid in the audience. It's like, uh, okay. Don't you have any sense of stakes? I mean, this movie has no sense of proportion. No. Like, I, I get that before it was, you know, let's enslave all the Looney Tunes, but, you know, if they really wanted to, they could have just done it and not made a deal. Like, if they were evil enough, they could have just went, no, no, fuck your stupid basketball deal, we're taking you. It, it's, I don't know, it's a movie with no sense of, okay... This is what matters, because there's no real sense of drama. You know they're going to win. Right. 
one good summation of that is, you know, Danny DeVito is the bad guy. He shows up at the beginning, and it's not until an hour later in the, in the basketball game that he shows up again. And that's not an over-exaggeration. That really is how long it takes him to show up again. Yeah. It's like, okay, I've forgotten this guy by now. I've forgotten that he exists. By the way, there were four writers on this film credited. And so that means you've got to have at least that many that did punch up on it. It's a mess. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a mess of the film. I don't know. I don't know that I have that much more to say about it. It just... No. It, I'll say this. There are a couple of really nice songs on the soundtrack. Seal's cover of Fly Like an Eagle is awesome. Oh, yeah. And uh, R. Kelly does pretty good on it. I forgot what else. I used to own the soundtrack. I couldn't find it for the purposes of this cast. It does have some pretty good stuff on it. Opening credits music aside. Yeah. And the, and the end credits, they jam like five songs in there again, forgive the pun. But they really do, just for the sake of we have to have this on the soundtrack. Like, those songs are not in the movie. Oh, I also, I also have to mention, <laughs> at the very end of the soundtrack, also not in the movie, there's a very awkward rap between Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd on the close of the soundtrack. It's weird. Too legit. Too legit to quit. I'll look it up. <laughs> do. Do. It's worth a listen just to just to cringe at it. I, I can't resist. I can't resist. Um, <laughs> I thought I told you that. We won't stop. It, it, Space Jam, I should note, though, that I don't really have particular nostalgia for the film because even when I saw it, I remember being very, like, I couldn't really even process the disappointment, you know? Yeah. It's, as I said, I don't think it's a film without merits. I, I think that the animation alone at least means that it's worth looking at. But it's just such a non-film. Yeah, it's very forgettable. I did not remember a lot of things about it. No. I did not remember anything about Lola. And that's fitting, because there was nothing to remember about it. No. But I just, I mean, I, I even as a kid, I remember, I just remember it was like, well, it was okay, but I wanted more. I wanted more out of it, and I didn't get more. So, I think that's my take on the film. I wanted more, and I didn't get it. Yeah, I and mean, one thing before we leave the film, credit where credit's due, the voice actors did a good job. And an all-star cast of voice actors. Oh yeah, this was Krim Krim. Yeah, Billy West. Who did a very good Bugs Bunny, it's gotta be noted. Mm-hmm. Lolo's voice, even, like, Kath... Kath... I don't know how to pronounce her name. Kath Suchi? Probably best known as Qbert Farnsworth from Futurama. Well, well, if it isn't my old friend Stretch Pants, No Pants, and Idiot. Um, June Foray, of course, was Granny. June Foray is still Granny. <laughs> In the Louie Tube show, yeah. She's the only Link. She was the only Link then, and she's the only Link now. Yeah, she's still voicing Granny uh, when she shows up. Yeah, which is brilliant. During the war, I was a whack. Hate to break it to you, but you're still a whack. I'm so happy to see her still out. 96 years old. Yeah. Um, she, she and, uh, Alan Young, who, uh, voiced Scrooge McDuck, is, uh, still the voice of him for the, uh, new video game. Oh, yeah, that's right. The video game remake. Which I cannot wait for. I don't know. This, this is neither here nor there. It, it, it's a movie. Yeah. It's certainly a movie. I guess. <laughs> but it's not a great movie. And no. that, I feel like, is a perfect segue into what's actually one of the very first movies I can remember watching in a theater. Mm-hmm. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And also the Back to the Future link. That was, I love that that was the movie that was made between uh, one and two. Hell of a side project. Yeah, it was almost a side project for the entire crew. It should be noted that this one is newly up on Netflix, um, so if you're a Netflix subscriber, watch it. If you haven't watched it in a while, go watch it. If you have watched it recently, watch it again. Man, I, I sat down to watch this with Amanda uh, last week, and it, it just it absolutely knocked me away just how great the movie still is. I think you mentioned, uh, after having just watched it, yeah, this this movie will forever have the best effects, the best uh, animated effects. Because they took such care to do it. I mean, the, the work that Zemeckis and his crew did, and the work of Richard Williams, who uh, did the animation, and Williams deserves 
I think practically deserves co-director credit on the film. Oh, yes. Because his animation was so stunning. Good God. Bob Hoskins is talking about, like on Special Features, is talking about working as an actor, knowing that you're interacting with animated characters. The rabbit and myself are going to be in the shot at the same time all the way through. So I've got to be focused on that rabbit all the way through the shot. How do you do that? Because you, you hold your hand up like that and focus on it, then take it away. Immediately your eyes open up to focus, and it's obvious that you're not focused. This was a movie that was so much effort was put into this movie. I mean, this was, this was a hard movie to make. It was a time-consuming movie to make. The detail that permeates every inch of this film, and yet it's seamless. The one scene that always comes to mind when I think of the live-action animation mix is the scene in the speakeasy part of the part of the yes. bar. Yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. The light swings back and forth, and you know you have the live-action element and the animated element, and you just look at the shading on Roger. Ah. Uh, <laughs> It's flawless. It is. And it's not like the animated characters just stand there static. They are interacting with live-action elements non-stop. There's a, there's a part at the end where Roger is holding a live-action gun. And, like, I think there's one part where they do kind of cheat and make it animated. But, you know, <laughs> I'll give them that. Yeah, they're allowed to cheat here and there because the integration is so very good oh yeah the weasels the weasels are always holding like huge live action guns you've got you've got of course actors uh working with animated objects like the the part where uh the part where uh bob hoskins is sitting in a cartoon cab that's driving him around the city and they're spinning every which way and they're just going all over the road like it's, it's fucking amazing it, it, the movie is a technical just I mean, it's a marvel. It's a, marvel. It's, it's a film that you can study. The scenes where he's handcuffed to Roger, I mean, it's it's incredible how much, how very real Roger is in the scene. Mm-hmm. And you know what's funny about this movie? Mm-hmm. I think the technical marvel pales next to the artistic one. I don't know, that's kind of hard to say because I think that the technical work is artistic on this film, but... They're at least equal. I, but I feel like on a script, on an acting, on on a level of creating something of supreme entertainment, and the movie is just, wow. Yeah, it's very tightly plotted. I'd be hard-pressed to find a thing that could be removed and not affect everything else, you know, which is, which is my ultimate test for the plotting, like how, tight, how tightly plotted something is. Everything's foreshadowed. Oh, God, yeah. Like, it... Like, the Doom reveal. Like, you can pick out several moments where you go, okay, yeah, that guy's a tune. Yeah, it's so careful. Uh, Christopher Lloyd actually never blinks on screen. Really? Yeah, he never blinks on screen. Wow. Well, he's, all, he's also behind those glasses, those, those creepy glasses, for most of it. But yeah, I guess you can see his eyes. Every time you see his eyes, watch him. He doesn't huh. blink. I'll have to watch for that now. <laughs> That's amazing detail. It is amazing detail. They throw in so much detail. They set up the plot so well. There's no spare detail in the film either. If something is in the film, it comes back around. Uh, I think one of the things I watched for in this last viewing was uh, the passing around of what ultimately becomes the will. Like, you know, Roger first gets out the blank piece of paper and, you know, they wrote the love letter to his wife on. And uh, at some point, it it gets passed to Valiant. But yeah, I watched the uh, the path of the will and its last pass. I was like, oh, that's nice. And it keeps, you know, they keep reminding you, of course, that Roger did indeed write a love letter, and it's right there. It's even ironically brought up, like as the piece of paper that he uses to try and fake out. Right. Exactly. You got the will. Sure. I got the will. And he really does. I mean, it's it's clever, mm-hmm. and the characters. I mean, of course, we got to address the fact that what this movie was most known for, in addition to live action animation, was that this was the first and probably only time that you're going to see these iconic characters working together. 
That's right. And this is also the tie-in to Roger Rabbit in that this does have the Looney Tunes in it. One of the rules that uh, Warner Brothers set was that there had to be equal screen time for their characters and the uh, Disney characters. No problem. What was funny about that was that the solution that they came up with was if Bugs Bunny was in a scene, Mickey Mouse had to be on screen at the same time. Jumping without a parachute? Kinda dangerous, ain't it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, you could get killed, huh? That's a kid's dream come true. <laughs> exactly. Rather than that being a yoke, you wound up getting the dream team-ups you'd always wanted to see. Yeah. Including a scene that's actually controversial in animation circles, the piano duel. That's controversial? Why? Uh, people, people in animation circles don't think it's well handled at all. Huh. They're wrong. Well, yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, how is it not well handled? I don't get it. Well, like, some people say that, well, the angles that the characters are in aren't done well enough. You don't really get to enjoy the fact that they're in the same. No, you get a classic Donald and Daffy sequence. Oh, yeah. I see. So it's all, like, on a technical level. Controversial of technical, technical well, level. Well, it's like I've seen people argue that the fight scenes uh, in The Dark Knight are not actually satisfying on a technical level. And I'm like... Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're they're very satisfying. They're about as satisfying as humanly possible. They flip a motherfucking truck. Yeah. I mean, it, come it, on. That's a real effect. That's a real truck. Real scale. You can go through and you can argue that the angles aren't good, but no, no, no. It, it, at the end of the day, it's about how does it work on a level. And in these cases, especially in the case of this sequence here, the piano duel, it couldn't work better. I've worked with a lot of wisecrackers, but you are despicable. This is the last time I work with someone with a speech impediment. This means war. And also, thing saying that these people forget is that that scene isn't the focus of the scene. It's a background event. It's a side joke in a scene that's actually a plot moment. Yeah, I mean, that's it's, it is a side joke. I believe those are Mary Poppins penguins, by the way. Yes, those are. Those are. I haven't thought about that till now, but yeah. I was quick to spot that because uh, at, when I first saw the movie as a kid, because Mary Poppins was on constant rotation for me, uh, that's, that's, and you know, that was another movie that did early in the it's gotta be noted. Animation and live action have been integrating as long as there's been animation. Oh god, yeah. I mean, right from the very start. You have King Kong. So, but yeah, um, Mary Poppins being uh, a prime example. But yes, those were the penguins from that movie. And uh, one thing that I want to talk about was some of the other, just like the various characters that are in the movie. I love how so many of them are just extras in the film. Yeah. Like the 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 cast of Fantasia. Yeah, it's offhandedly brought up that R.K. Maroon has a bunch of characters on loan from Disney, including like the entire cast of Fantasia. And Valiant's just walking through the lot where all these characters are just you know rehearsing lines and doing a bunch of crazy stuff. And yeah, it's it's mostly just background. There's the great sight gag where he's looking in the window and then he gets startled by Dumbo. Yes. <sighs> By the way, te- you know, again, the te- with the technical level stuff, you know, with uh, Bob Hoskins saying he couldn't spread his fingers apart because, you know, it'd create more work for the animators. Good God, they have him through blinds. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's <laughs> incredible, but it works. You can tell that they really push themselves. They really push their animators. I mean, this is a movie that we're never going to see a film like this again, sadly. No. Especially no. with the death of cell-drawn animation in America, which... That's yeah. a topic that... That's a big topic for another day, okay? I'm not even getting into that. I'm going to say that, oh, it's just amazing to see these characters the way that they're done. I don't know what... what, what there's so, many, there's so many angles with this movie. One of the ones that, though, that I really want to hit on is the original characters. Mm, yes. Because for all of the hype of these characters that are the, these icons that are in the movie, they're just minor background, really, for the original characters. And this movie falls apart if the original characters are not 
every bit as iconic as the ones that we're surrounded by. And by God, they pull that off to a T. Oh, they do. Like, Roger has ever been as much merit as Mickey Mouse or Bugs Bunny. Really, so is Jessica. Jessica Rabbit's kind of a uh, kind of a straightforward character, but she does do very cartoony things. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. And I think one thing that illustrates, uh, you know, the the other link to Space Jam is that yeah, Jessica Rabbit is kind of drawn as a sexual figure, like a very cartoonishly one, though. Oh, she's a cartoon of a sex bomb. She's not a sex bomb. Right, exactly. You know, and I think the one joke that illustrates that best is... We search valiant for us, the will ain't on him. That frisk the woman! I'll handle this. And he puts his hand down between her cleavage and... <laughs> nice booby trap. So this day, one of my favorite jokes in there. That joke was... It was an eye roller of a pun, and I loved it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that illustrates the difference. She's actually funny. She's actually a character. She actually has depth to her. Yes, right. she's this joke of a uh, sexual figure. Oh, and it should also be noted, she's drawn like a human. Right, exactly. But she's so well uh, crafted because she is a genuinely deep character. She's someone who is driven by a genuine love for her husband. And the relationship between Jessica and Roger is really sweet. It is. It's great. I mean, she truly loves him, and he deeply loves her, and they're just great characters to watch. I mean, of course, you've got to acknowledge Baby Herman, who is a cartoon baby who's also a filthy 50-year-old man. Right. I mean, if, if you look closely in the first shot where he's walking off the stage, he molests a crew member. Excuse me, Dutch. <sighs> wow. Uh, okay, this has to be brought up at some point, but apparently there is a uh, an uncensored version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit that exists. Uh, apparently the animators just put in really kind of filthy stuff. Yeah, they did. I would not believe it, except that uh, it still runs in France on HDTV. And that's in that scene where he does that, Baby Herman's holding up his middle finger. I believe it. I believe it because of what stayed in. That's the thing. I believe it because of what yeah. stayed in the movie. Yeah, what's in there isn't exactly saintly either. Like, it, it's billed as a family movie, and holy God, I even owned, like, children's books, uh, retellings of it, that had, like, uh, read-along tapes with Charles Fleischer, voice of Roger Rabbit, actually reading it. I believe you can find that on YouTube, actually, if you uh, look for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good Christ, this is a dark movie. I mean, there's murder, there's drinking. Like, the way they console Roger Rabbit is they give him some hard liquor. Yeah, and it's not like it's something that's maybe is hard liquor, maybe it's not. No, it's no. it's it's scotch. It's scotch. And, of course, it makes him go crazy. Of course, that comes back around. Because, again, oh, yeah. there's no spare detail in the film. Um... There's lots and lots of sexual references. Oh, Jesus. And they're brilliant. And Jessica's introduction is really, like, her her anima the animation they do on her for the first scene she's in where she does a musical number. Like, her sexuality is played up there more than any other part of the movie. And it's a really brilliant animation job. Oh, I mean, the, the job on her dress and her motions. Uh, sparkle, sparkle. Yeah, and you know, all these guys googling over her and her, like, interacting with a handkerchief. Uh, she takes a handkerchief out of uh, Marvin Acme's pocket and, like, rubs his bald head with it. It's like, that's a nice detail, and I'm sure that, you know, took some technical know-how. Pays off. Oh, yeah. There's, there's there's a lot of great stuff. I mean, you have to compare the adult jokes here to the adult jokes in Space Jam, because Ooh, yeah. those in Space Jam felt like they were thrown in out of desperation. It was like, let's give the adults something to laugh at. Oh, we've got balls! Whoa! The adult jokes 
you hear feel like they come out of the world that the movie is set in. Which is, you know, of course, the it's very much a film noir. It's very much a hard-boiled 1930s uh, detective story. And, you know, it's it's a world filled with sex, lies, you know, crime everywhere. And uh, just, yeah, murder. Good God. What well, it should be noted that the plot of the film was actually what was considered for the plot of a uh, third movie uh, in the Chinatown series. Really? Yeah, this was... The plot of the movie actually was more or less what would have been the third part of that trilogy. <laughs> wow. I don't know that. So not only was it trying to ape the film noir, but, I mean, it's pretty much a, a direct lift from uh, one of the great film noir sets of all time. And one of the darkest ones, too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't. Thankfully, they don't quite get into that uh, first film's uh, really, really. Yeah. I don't even want to get into it. Let's just. We we all know what, what I'm talking about. Um, She's my daughter. She's my sister. She's my daughter. She's my sister and my daughter. Yeah, we all know what happens there. No, that doesn't happen here. But, I mean, that's about the only level this film doesn't go to. I mean, it should be noted that for Eddie Valiant, it's not like they give him some G-rated vice. Like, you know, he has some little PG problem. No, he's an alcoholic. Yeah. And when they show him drinking, they're not even, again, they're not even ambiguous about what he's drinking. They show the brand. Right. He's a wild turkey man, for the record. That's another thing we got to talk about, the human characters in this movie. Hmm, Yeah. Credit is due to Bob Hoskins big time for this movie. For starters, let's just address his accent. Yeah, he's he's British. He does a great American accent. Not only American accent, but I think it's like a like a New Yorker. Very New York, yeah. Yeah. And it's it never slips. No, never. You you never know. Like I didn't know Bob Hoskins was British until years later. I never did find out who that guy was. All I remember was him standing over me laughing with those burning red eyes and that high squeaky voice. He disappeared into Toontown after that. He just, he doesn't give it away. He doesn't, he doesn't let it slip. He is, he's great in the film. But what's great about Eddie Valiant is they give him a surprisingly rich character for a character of this type. They don't just make him a cliche of the hard-boiled private eye. They actually give him a backstory. Um, there's that great scene where he's clearly drunk, and it just pans over his desk, and we see the pictures of his vacation uh, with Dolores. So we get a little bit more on that relationship. We get the picture of his brother. We get the headlines that make it clear that they were legends in Toontown. And then we get that one little photo that really comes to be a key detail later, uh, where we see that he and his brother grew up in the circus. Yeah. That's something I didn't notice until you pointed it out. And of course, that comes back around at the end, when he makes the weasels laugh themselves to death. And it's like, well, of course, he knows these things. He grew up doing them. That's actually doing good writing there. I also really want to take a moment to address the scene with Eddie and Betty Booth at the Ink and Paint Club. Yeah. That's a really beautiful scene. That That's a scene that really is quite touching. and I, I really love that scene. Uh, the, 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 just the sweetness of that interaction. Yeah. It's like, it, they're old friends. They're reconnecting. Like, even, even though he's kind of, he's cut himself off from this world. Like, he's, he's really bitter. It, it really, it, it, it's it's a great scene, and yeah, the, this it kind of sums up the dark humor with the one line. So what's his problem? Toon killed his brother. What? Huh? Dropped the piano on his head. <laughs> you just can't help laugh at. <laughs> Let's discuss that tune that killed his brother. Um, obviously, we've been spoiling the film, but look, you know the rule that we have, and we're expecting that you've all seen the movie. Let's talk about Christopher Lloyd as Judge Doom. I'll catch the rabbit, Mr. Valiant. Then I'll try him, convict him, and execute him. Oh, 
kid gloves, Mr. Valiant. He's terrifying. He still gives me chills. It does. It does. The reveal is still horrifying. Uh, just that one line, like, always just sends tingles. Like, it's giving me tingles right now. When I kill your brother, I talk! It, it 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 it's it's very effective and Lloyd is terrifying in the film. It, it's good to talk about uh, the last time that we brought Lloyd up on the podcast. It was not under better circumstances. Good luck on your big balloon adventure. Oh yeah, he's a great villain though. He's just a really terrifying, mm. unsettling villain. Even as even before the, that reveal, even as a human character, he's pretty unsettling. Yeah. I mean, he's just amazing, in it. and uh, we gotta talk about the racial allegory in the film. Yeah, you know, again, that's uh, best summed up in the the Ink and Paint Club. You know, human strictly humans only, even though uh, the whole concept is that tunes run the place. Very much a reference to the Cotton Club of Harlem. Yeah, there are some there, there's some unsettling elements uh, about that. Uh, I think it's interesting that the uh, tune chanteuse that uh, all the people all the men go crazy over is one who is very human looking. Sadly, that kind of connects back to the racial allegory in that lighter skinned women were considered more desirable in situations like that, D- dark but not too dark. So, I mean, the, the, the racial allegory, there's the segregation of Toontown, there's the way that Toons are treated as second-class citizens. I could go really deep into the allegory. I don't know that I care to. I mean, it, it's... The racial allegory is there. I think that's the best way of putting it. The movie, man, it just it held up so beautifully. Mm-hmm. Like, all-time. It's, it's one of my favorite all-time films. I mean, it will... You know, nothing has been made like it since. Nothing had been made like it before. I mean, I think... How many, like, live-action integrated films can you count since uh, since they did that? I can count three. Yeah. We, we discussed one of them. I have not seen Looney Tunes back in action. I feel like that's the one thing I wish I'd gotten a chance to watch before this cast. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it's I've heard it's pretty good. I've heard it's pretty good. Really? I'll probably watch it in the near. Yeah, I've actually heard it's pretty good. Hmm. I've heard it's very true to the Looney Tunes. Well, that's good. It's more that could be said about Space Jam. I I know that Joe Dante directed it, and I've heard that it's very much a oh. Joe Dante film through and through. Oh, sweet. Okay, now I'm curious. Right down to uh, Roger Corman makes a cameo. Awesome. And of course, Brendan Fraser is a way better actor than uh, uh, Michael Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, I actually quite like Frasier. Um, but that was one of them. Um, Space Jam was another. James and the Giant Peach was another. Well, I don't know. I think that more... That's kind of a complicated situation. But yeah, it doesn't have that yeah. much integration. But yeah, it is. Yeah. I guess you could technically count Monkey Bone, too. Uh, that's true. I have not seen that one. I heard it's kind of an ugly film. I watched a video review of it the other night. It's it's it doesn't look very good. Um, uh, yeah. But there's one that I do want to address. There's one that I want to address. It's like a side note. Mm-hmm. Cool world. Cool world. Oh yeah. That was like made the year after, wasn't it? Uh, ninety two actually. So forty two. Okay. Have you seen it? I've seen it. I didn't feel the need to watch it again for the cast, but yeah. I didn't either. <laughs> Enough to discuss it anyway. It's it hasn't been that long ago. That movie is a train wreck. Of just amazing proportion. Yeah, is uh, directed by Ralph Bakshi, who um, who is a who is a good animator. He did the X-rated uh, Fritz the Cat, which I, full disclosure, I have seen. It is pretty funny. Based on the Robert Crumb comics. Yeah, I mean it's very twisted, pornographic in spots, but it is funny. And I also saw his uh, his Lord of the Rings, which actually is not bad. I know the only problem with it is that it stops halfway through the first, through the second book. Yeah, which sucked. Like, he, he intended to make another one, but yeah. uh, it didn't do well enough. Studio didn't let him. But it's but it's actually a decent adaptation. For those who are unaware of the film's backstory, um, the initial plan was to do a hard-R horror movie that would blend animation and live action. 
Somewhere along the line, the studio took the film completely out of his hands before shooting even started. Completely rewrote the script without his awareness. Like, he wanted to cast Drew Barrymore and Brad Pitt in the leads. They put Kim Basinger in there. I don't know how to say this politely, but Kim Basinger in 1992 was not Drew Barrymore in 1992. It's like, look, she she is an attractive woman, but she's not right for the film. She's aged beautifully, it's gotta be noted. She's not right for what they were trying to do with the film, like with her character. She wanted to do the film as like a family film, something that she could show sick kids in hospitals. Uh, Why would you do that to them? No. And, uh, again, he wanted Brad Pitt for the lead, uh, the part that wound up going to Gabriel Byrne. Well... The studio wouldn't let him, so Pitt got put in uh, the second male lead. Here's what's weird about that. The film is so clumsy that Pitt's character probably has more screen time than Byrne's character, probably has a greater impact on the plot, and easily gets more resolution even if it's an asshole. Yeah, and he, he, like, the film opens with his backstory. Yeah, it's really more his story than anybody else's. And... You know, let's talk about how weird that backstory is, because, you know, it's him, like, driving a car with his mother, and then, like, I guess uh, the scientist in the cartoon world is fixated on him for some reason. It's like, oh, look, let's open a portal here. And there's a car wreck, and his mother dies, and then he's transported to the cartoon world, where he becomes a detective. Okay. And it should be noted that uh, Pitt is, I mean, at this point, obviously, he's what they sell the DVD on. Uh, he's on the cover of the DVD. Again, not wrongly. He's not in the film in a small amount. He really is a major character in it. Right. As bad as the film is, let's give credit where credit is due. He's pretty good. Yeah. It's not a surprise that his career survived this film. He's charming. The year after, they made True Romance, which he only has, like, three scenes, but he, he takes them. You condescend me, man. fucking kill you, man. He also uh, had uh, California the next year, and that really cemented him. He's a talented actor. He's good in this, too. He, but the movie is a mess. Uh, the integration. It's worse than Space Jam by far. It is... Like, I don't think there's any sort of shading on the characters. No. They're all just flat. Eh. <laughs> I don't know what else can be said about it. They're just flat. <laughs> it's an ugly, unpleasant motion picture. I I did not enjoy it in the least. And, you know, you mentioned that Kim Basinger wanted uh, this to be, you know, something she could show to sick kids in hospitals. It's a movie where they try to get a two to have sex with a human. Yeah, that's the entire plot of the movie. That's the whole crux, yeah. And, oh yes, it does happen. Not a great detail, I guess, maybe. Sorta, kinda. But, it does happen. The movie is a disaster, and I don't even recommend it on a level of, okay, it's a train wreck, you need to see it. Right. No, I don't recommend it for that reason. There are train wrecks that I can recommend. It's not really even worth the curiosity. Because it's not entertaining. It's ugly, and it's unpleasant. And I think it was billed as, uh, oh, Ralph Bakshi's answer to Hoovering Roger Rabbit. No, don't even bring that in. No. No, you want to see the adult version of Roger Rabbit? Watch Roger Rabbit. (laughs) Right. It's its own adult feature. And, of course, you know, it is... Uh, Disney, but it's also Touchstone. It's it's which is the more adult one of the more adult divisions of Disney. I think we need to address really quickly the shorts. We, we got to talk about the short films. That's right. They're on uh, YouTube. They're well worth your time. Mm-hmm. They're funny. <laughs> They're put in front of various uh, feature films at the time. The one I think I've seen the most is Tummy Trouble, which was featured at the beginning of uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Another film from my childhood I'll have to revisit at some point. I have a feeling that one's probably going to hold up pretty nicely. Oh, yeah. That was a really ambitious film. Um, Mm -hmm. These were three really good shorts. Uh, It should be noted, the animation team on them, I know at least on the first one, the director went on to work on Aladdin. Oh, really? Uh, 
Yeah, uh, Rob Minkoff, I know, was the director. Oh, nice. So, you've got some really talented people working on these things. And the, the animation is just as good uh, as anything you'd find in the film. Oh, it's it's lovely. Um, very dynamic, very uh, very good. And they're funny as hell. Those shorts are absolutely hilarious. Yeah. So, search those out. I'll tell you one thing I wouldn't search out if you're a fan of Roger Rabbit, is don't bother looking for the novel. The movie bears no resemblance to it at all. I'm in the process of reading it. Um, uh, one, one of my one of my friends, uh, one of my online friends, Beck Coppins, uh, recommended reading it uh, just for the sheer, like just just for a read. I can already say Roger Rabbit is the corpse in this one. You know, like I mentioned before uh, to you, the the core concept is very creative. I think in the in the novel, it's a comic strip and instead of cartoons. Yes. Um, and you know, they, as such, they all have like word balloons, uh, Jessica rabbit suppresses hers. Yeah. I mean, the core concept is very creative, but <laughs> it's not pleasant. Yeah. It's, it's darker. It's, it's a lot darker. It's just, I mean, there are some things of course that they, that they lifted, uh, directly from the book. Like the, my problem is I got a 50 year old lust and a three year old dinky line is in there, but that was better handled too. Oh yeah. I just, I I should note, I read the sequel novel that the writer did, and his response to the movie was to completely retcon the book. <laughs> he he just completely did away with the book. He completely retconned it out and made the sequel novel a sequel to the, uh... To the movie. Movie, not not the book. Um, and it's actually not bad. It's it's actually not bad. I, uh, I actually kind of enjoyed it. But what, 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 what a, a thing that was. Yeah. So yeah, it exists, and that's and that's basically uh, what you need to know about it. Like I've I've only gotten to the part where Roger gets killed. I do recommend the Marvel graphic novel, The Resurrection of Doom. Mm. Uh, that's that's pretty good. That's that's worth uh, a look. Uh, that gives Doom's backstory, and it's 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 well worth a look. Oh, nice. Yeah, though these things are worth seeking out. Thing I have to ask: Do they show Doom's actual form in the they do. that? They do. Okay. They do. They do. They give his whole backstory. It's worth a look. It really is. Because uh, that's one thing that I uh, thought that was a good choice was, you know, even when he's revealed as a tomb, his eye, you could see his eyes, which are just creepy throughout, but uh, he still wears the rubber mask and you never really see his face, except that you know that he's yellow. Yeah. It's it's well worth a look. It's well worth a look. That, that's my recommendation. That, that's my recommendation is 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 look that up. I really I'm I'm kind of running out of things to say. Uh, I, I do want to once again really stress the Looney Tunes show very much worth a look. It's I'm pretty much done with season one. I'm getting ready to head into season two. Uh, it's just a ton of fun. If you like the Looney Tunes, it's it's true to stuff. And weirdly enough, I've noticed there's a lot of Cast members from Bridesmaids are involved in it, weirdly enough. Which isn't a problem for me, because I really love that movie, so... Hey! Bonus. But, yeah. I mean, that's that, that, that that's the way that I see it. Yeah, but who framed Roger Rabbit? That's gonna stick around. That's, yeah, it's never gonna age. Nope, 25 years uh, old this year. Yeah, the effects are still the best. They will forever... They are now forever be the best live action animation integration effects. The movie's just a ton of fun, and it should be noted it's only ten minutes longer than uh, Space Jam. It's worlds tighter. It's it's worlds tighter. So uh, next time will be Kevin Smith, I believe. Yeah, we're gonna finally hit Kevin Smith cast next time. Oh yeah, it's gonna happen. Uh, we're gonna watch Red State for it. At the very least, I know I'm going to brush up on a few of his movies. It's been a while. It's I don't know if we can call it appreciation cast, but I don't know if we can call it a... It'll be a fair cast, I think. It, it'll be a fair cast. It's going to definitely be more of an appreciation cast than not, I think, is the best way oh, of yeah. doing it. Oh, yeah, definitely. We're, we're, we're both big fans. I have issues with his later stuff, but, man, up until a certain point, and even one film past that, I've got a lot of love, and so... We're gonna hit. We're gonna hit Smith's uh, highs, his lows, and I don't know. We will see what happens. Yeah. As always, you can email us at filmroompodcast at gmail dot com. You can 
Twitter us at, at filmroomcast. You can like us on Facebook, simply facebook.com slash the film room. Uh, I encourage you to do that. We do a lot of stuff on that page. Our personal Twitters, I am at Primitive Man PRD. You are at Untitled User. And of course, if you came here from iTunes, you can find our blog at thefilmroom.podbean.com. And you know that's where we post all the all the supplemental material. Oh yeah, and if you if you do want a nice high quality version of the remix at the front, I will post both that version and an extended version of it, slightly extended version, <laughs> up on the blog. Mega Mix. <laughs> so you you can have that. I think that's it. Yep. I'm Austin Shen. I'm Albert Rothfall. We will see you later. <laughs> Been thinking for a while and there's something I gotta tell you. Yeah, I'm kinda busy. Been thinking that our love for each other has grown so very strong. Love? It's Wait. plain to see we're building our worlds together. Uh, back up for a minute. I'm looking in your eyes right now and I can tell you feel the same. You're choking me. We Cause your car was parked outside my house Every night this week Your neighbors are sweet You're the reason that I have to keep my shades drawn I'll watch you through the chimney I've installed an alarm system With motion beam detectors I have the code Ugh. <sighs>